How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out. It's time for Stay On Your Feet, the Mirror Football Podcast with Sam Matterface. This week on the Mirror Football Podcast, no one stays on their feet as City gets stuck against the Toffees. Lionel Messi could sort that out. The Wenger In, Wenger Out campaign gets stoked up again as Hesse paints a picture about how it's going to be. Wembley Woe for Spurs as Conte suits back up. And another Mourinho masterclass that, in the words of Trevor Francis, was full of pace and power. What else is on, Big Tom, the producer? In the video section of the podcast, available on YouTube, we squeeze a moose into a West Ham shirt and why you should pick Newcastle forwards for your fantasy team this week. And Pep reacts to the news that Raheem Sterling actually finished a chance. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Happy New Year. More than you believe. More than you believe, I'm happy. Hey, hello, thanks for listening and watching and subscribing, whatever you've been doing, uh, get in touch uh, on the Mirror Football Podcast by tweeting us at Stay On Your Feet or Instagram at Stay On Your Feet TV. A blistering start for Manchester United, Liverpool right on the Mane, (laughs) Arsenal losing at Stoke, so much to talk about and of Mm. course last night's game between Manchester City and Everton and the referee making a couple of ricks. What else is coming up? Yeah, pressure on Spurs with Burnley visiting this weekend. Um, visiting teams raising their game at Wembley, maybe. Possibly. Uh, the Southampton-West Ham game. What crazy a Crazy game. game. Yeah, crazy entertaining. And NBA supervan Jack Butland putting in another amazing performance. He was very, very good. And we'll speak to Shay Given about that in the next few minutes here on the podcast. Uh, who else is on the show to discuss? Well, we've got John Cross, the Chief Football Writer for The Mirror, yep. coming up. We've got uh, Shay Given, as you've just said, coming on, Newcastle legend. And we've got the duo of Davids from The Mirror, David Maddock and David McDonald, to talk all things Merseyside and Manchester. OK, before we get started, would you fancy another Matterface mindbender? Uh, I've been looking forward to it. I've not looked at my notes just so that I can have it fresh. Do you know who's got the most Champions League winners in the uh, Premier League, in their squad? Most Champions League winners in their current squad. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be any of the top four because we've not won, uh, an English team's not won the top uh, the Champions League for years and years. 2012, 19th of May. <laughs> Good knowledge. Um, uh, don't know. It's going to have to be a, a lower team. Uh, Stoke City. That was a quick reveal. Stoke City. Well, that's not the question. The okay, question is, is how many do you think they've got? Right. And who are they? Who are they? Jesse, the scorer, has got to be. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a clue. That's one of five. One of five. Shakiri, Shakiri. Shakiri, Shakiri's hips don't lie, and order his medals. <laughs> uh, from Bayern Munich. Uh, Take I'm, the show. Take the show. Don't get too excited. No, Don't I'm go stuck. early. Um, so you've got five to get. You've got two. Hesse. Three more. And uh, Shakiri. Say Hesse, not Jesse, by the way. Hesse. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was going to let you segue into your smooth... Uh, Joshua Caddison number. No, I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, okay. um, right. So, yeah, if you want to get in touch as well and tell us uh, if you knew these five Champions League winners at Stoke earlier than Tom did at Stay On Your Feet on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you and we'll reveal the answer before the end of the programme. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter.
John Cross, the chief football writer from the Mirror, joins us to discuss Arsenal's latest defeat, Tottenham banging the drum for Wembley and how things, well, can change remarkably well if you just switch your suit and tracksuit round and start wearing it once again. Hi, John, how are you? Yeah, very good, Sam. Nice to be with you. Yeah, Chelsea winning at Wembley. Was it all down to Antonio Conte switching his wardrobe? Well, what was he doing earlier in the season, going tracksuit? I mean, I just didn't understand it. He, he was, him on the touchline last season was a real part, I thought, of the drama and the success and the soap opera of Chelsea's title success. And it just didn't, it hasn't felt right all summer, to be honest, with his whinging and his moaning. And then on top of that, the blue tracksuit, I mean, for a guy that just oozes class and Italian style, we've missed that suit. And clearly the players have as well. <laughs> um, but I, listen, I do actually think that his histrionics on the touchline are a part of his management. I love the way that the energy feeds out into the players. But I thought it was a really good Chelsea performance. I thought it was back to what we had last season. Yes, there were players missing. Yes, there were players playing out position. So it wasn't perfect, but so much was about the rear guard action and how on earth are a team going to try and break them down. Actually, I thought as much pressure that Spurs had, and they certainly had chances first half, I didn't actually think they created too many clear-cut chances second half. And that, again, is a tribute to Chelsea's resoluteness and, and defending. And that the way they kind of you know, the quality of the Alonso free kick and then the breakaway goal for his second, I just thought was Chelsea back to their best, back to doing what they did last season. So I do think that will be a huge lift for Chelsea. I just wonder if Chelsea winning at Wembley has a multitude of consequences, not only for Chelsea, but for Tottenham as well. Yeah, I do think it does. Because this was a given, this was supposed to be the game that really revives Tottenham's feelings about Wembley. And Look, they, they won't like us talking about it. Maurizio Pochettino certainly doesn't like talking about it. He got hot under the collar, having taken lots and lots of questions in broadcast and in front of the TV cameras. By the time he got to the written press, he was really snappy about it, which is unlike Pochettino because he's very normally calm and cool. But um, he didn't like it. It's two wins now out of 11 games at the new Wembley, and that's got to get under your skin for a team that based their whole success of last season on their home form. So I do think that that was a real issue, I, I think, and will continue to be so. I, I, it's hard to, to make out what it was. I felt that they did Spursify it um, in as much that the colours were there and it felt like a home game in as much as, it, you know, as far as it could be. But I just think there's something there. And the more we talk about it, the more it gets under their skin and the more it upsets them. I mean, Burnley on, on Sunday, they absolutely have to win that. But you felt that against Chelsea as well. And the thing is about Chelsea, you, you can dismiss that because Chelsea are a quality team and they're champions and it's a London derby. For Burnley, it will be one of their cup finals. It will be the opportunity to play at Wembley that some of those players will never have again in their careers. So you can't tell me that it won't lift their mood. Tottenham played quite well against Chelsea. I thought they, they had a, a fairly good game. But do you think it is the, the, not for want of a better phrase, lesser teams raising their game at least 10% when they face them? Not the Chelsea's, but the Burnley's of this world for, for this coming weekend. Yeah, I do. I do. I really think it's a valid point because I think the week in, week out, that they've got to make that place a fortress. Um, I think it's a shame on Wembley, by the way. I don't like Wembley being used week in, week out. I think we've seen it on occasion, obviously, with Spurs, you know, and also, you know, back in the day, Arsenal as well. And we've seen it obviously sort of blended into to semi-finals. And I think it takes a shine and edge off the, the cup finals, in my view, which I think is a great shame. 
um, moving forward. But I, I, I think there's no doubt about it. For, for those smaller sides, and I don't want to be patronising here, it will give them one hell of a lift. There will be no easy home games, no bankers for Spurs all season. Because Sean Dyche will love the occasion. It will feel like the Wembley suit. It will feel like walking out of Wembley. It will feel like his cup final. I mean, he should go and buy himself a carnation because it will feel like something special in May. And that's what it will be like. Those Burnley lads will love it. And you know Sean Dyche is not going to buy a carnation. He doesn't even know where the floor is. <laughs> He's a stylish is. guy. I like Sean Dyche. He's a top man. Hey, listen, he concentrates on his shoes, not his carnations. That's for and sure. And his watch. And, and his, his watch. watch. <laughs> listen, fake news has been the theme of the year. But talk to me about the fake atmosphere. Did they really uh, pump crowd noise into the PA? Honestly, I was sat there in the press box, sat next to Darren Lewis on my right. And we both jumped out of our seat when suddenly this ridiculous noise came out of the PA system. What was that? And it was just absolutely bizarre. It was so fake and it was so wrong. I mean, the thing is about White Hart Lane was that it, it was a brilliant atmosphere, great place to play. And, the, the you know, the fans were on top of the pitch. It was brilliant. It gave the, the team a whole new energy. And I can understand why, to a degree, they're trying to bring something out. But that, that noise was just completely out of the ordinary, didn't feel right, didn't feel at all fitting, and it was wrong, and it didn't didn't work at all, I don't I don't think. And, you know, Thibaut Courtois has poked a bit of fun at it, and rightly so, because players and fans alike will laugh at that sort of thing. It's fake. Yeah. Um, Chelsea, obviously, winners, so that was good for them. I'm not getting too excited about it, because I still think there's work to do, especially in terms of bringing players in to bolster uh, the squad. Um, but um, not a great weekend for Arsene Wenger and, and Arsenal. Um, the saying goes, eight out of ten cats can't be wrong. Uh, so what does that make Arsenal, seeing as uh, they failed to win in eight of their last ten trips to Stoke? <laughs> well, the amazing thing was that they actually managed to do it under pressure last season, didn't they? When I think Stoke had run out of fuel, so maybe we thought it was going to be different. And it doesn't, and that's the issue, isn't it? It doesn't feel different at all for Arsenal. I mean, I, I sort of kind of feel that it's the same manager, it's the same old players, there's not enough new signings. The, the ones that they had last season, which ha- didn't work out, haven't really been moved on. And all this talk about a big change, well, it just hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened. It feels exactly the same. And for Arsenal, I think it will be a, such a struggle this season to get into the top four. But it just felt familiar traits. I mean, yeah, I, I do actually think he had a point. Arsene Wenger about about the goal and Lacazette. People sort of say about it was a smidgen offside. Well, actually, I think the ball was a smidgen off Giroud's, you know, foot by the time the sort of the freeze frame has been taken. If there's a doubt, you've got to give it to the striker. I thought it was an equaliser. But to be honest with you, I do still feel that that, that would... I wouldn't say paper over the cracks because I think Arsenal played well enough and on another day they could have won or drawn the game and arguably didn't deserve to lose. But Arsenal have got to be their own worst enemy on that. I, th- I thought Lacassette a couple of times the ball went into him in the box. He had an opportunity to shoot first time, didn't. Welbeck was wasteful, I, I-, I felt. And so all the old familiar failings, and, and particularly in defence, were-, were there. And I don't think there's been enough change at the club, either in coaching staff. You know, I did actually sort of say towards the end of last season, I felt that the Wenger should have rode off in glory in the sunset after winning the FA Cup. And I still think that stands because we all knew it was coming. We just didn't expect the sort of kind of Wenger out and Wenger frustration to boil over after the second game of the, of the league season. But that's what's happened. And it was always going to happen, especially if you didn't change things up enough. We'll sign in a, a defender who's been very good, Kalasnach 
on a free transfer and one striker nowhere near good enough for Arsenal to be title contenders and I think they'll struggle to finish top four. They will struggle but to balance it out as well John do you think that the, both the Bellerin shouts were both pens? Yeah I do I, th- I think particularly the first one I mean Bellerin if he goes down for the second one then I think it's a clear-cut penalty. So maybe he hasn't been streetwise enough there, if I say, you know, he could have gone down without doubt, but he's tried to play on, and maybe that was a natural instinct rather than kind of trying to be clever, which says about, you know, says something about his natural honesty, which is good. But I think the first one, I mean, I, I mean, I just, I, I did watch it on, on, on kind of TV and Graham Pohl sort of analysing and saying you can't expect the referee to see that. Well, you can. I mean, I just thought it was bizarre punditry, that one. I mean, if the linesman can see Lacazette off, off, allegedly offside, well, I think you've got to rely on the referee to, to spot that one. Um, and I think if they get the penalty at that stage, it would have been a different game. So that was bad luck. But I do think that would have been kind of those sort of claims mask over the fact that it just feels such a familiar story. It's yeah. such a familiar setting for Arsenal. <clears throat> um, I was reading Martin Keown this week and he was describing Mesut Ertzel as an expensive luxury. The Stoke Police Force sent out a tweet <laughs> which, which claimed he'd gone missing. I'm not necessarily sure that was the right thing to do, but they did it anyway. Me neither. I thought that was poor taste. Uh, but are, are it was a giggle, but poor taste. Are Arsenal going to give him a new contract, really? Or are they just going to wait till the end of the season, let him go and shake his hands and say, OK, we thought it was going to be a lot better than this, but time to move on, son. Oh, they want to give him a new contract, without doubt. But but I think that, to be honest, most people would see that as much of as protecting the asset as, as actually kind of wanting him truly to stay. Because let's be honest here, guys, Meza Ozil hasn't had... Uh, a, a raft of offers like the, you know some of the other guys have you know sort of like you, you know Alexis Sanchez and Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, so it's it's changed and I think Mesut Özil, I think at some point might turn around and say you know what I could leave on a free and maybe get a really good package as a free transfer or I could stay here and uh, you know being offered three hundred thousand pounds a week because he is I mean this is uncharted territory for Arsenal incredible, but it's about the asset. And look, I would still argue when Arsenal are playing well and dominating the game, Ozil's a world-class player. I do like Ozil. He's a really good player. No divides opinion. And he divides opinion amongst Arsenal fans. But when Arsenal are on top of a game and they've got possession, he's a beautiful player to watch. He's the sort of player that you, you know, that Arsene Wenger has made his career and reputation upon. And I do like that, that sort of player. But when you haven't got the ball, when you are chasing a game and things are not working, but you're also not getting on the ball... Then Meza Ozil, Stephen Gerrard described him, is a liability when when he's not on the ball because he doesn't work for the team. He's he's not that kind of player who tracks back, and it, he looks embarrassingly bad for a player. Let's not forget who's a World Cup winner and and you know is, is Germany's player of the year almost every season. Why? Because when Germany play well and they n- normally dominate possession, Meza Ozil looks a class apart, and he's a world class talent. It just doesn't do it often enough for Arsenal. Uh, before we let you go, uh, got to just uh, talk about an issue which hasn't been solved for a long time, and that's the Arsenal midfield. I was with Danny Murphy yesterday, and he kept saying, Shaka can't, Shaka can't. There's <laughs> uh, <laughs> an 80s reference for you, I know you love it. <laughs> I like it, I like it. I did, I, I'll be I, dancing. I did feel for him. Um, oh, no. <laughs> uh, Granite can't tackle without giving away a foul. I mean, that if, issue has to be solved, doesn't it? Well, Granite also can't tackle, but also cannot seem to pass at the moment. It's ridiculous. 
I mean, the second you could split last season, Granite Xhaka, into two parts. The first season I thought was a disaster, punctuated by you know ridiculous challenges, which got him into trouble with referees and suspensions. And then the second half of the season, he really showed signs. Oh, blimey, this could be second season syndrome, which for Wenger has normally been good because he's taken into the second season for some, even of his best players. I'm thinking particularly Robert Perez, for example, to actually really come good. And his range of passing, his long range passing is great. But his passing against Leicester was so slack. And it was even, I thought, worse against Stoke. He continually gave the ball away. And then you are chasing the game, and that's when suddenly Xhaka makes these completely crazy rash challenges. This is a guy who's been brought in, I think, to be something of a leader. You know, he's, he's captain Switzerland and, you know, done done extremely well, very good player. Um, but I just don't know where he sits because I think they found that the sort of the kind of two midfielders in front of the um, back three system with the wing backs either side was maybe the, the right way of getting the best out of Xhaka. But I don't know that Xhaka and Ramsey, even though they won games at the end of last season, is a particularly good combination, particularly when Ramsey's bombing forward and kind of relying on Xhaka to sit because he doesn't do that particularly well either. Um, and it's, it, it really is a conundrum for Wenger because Xhaka at the moment, it, we, we can see potential, but for me, he's just not delivered. And this is a player that was signed over Kante as the ideal option for Arsenal's midfield. And I just think if you had your time again, surely you'd sign Kante. I mean, it just looks an absolute terrible mistake. If Arsene Wenger had his time again, things might be <laughs> quite a lot different, actually, wouldn't they? Uh, listen, John, thanks very much for coming on the programme. Really Brilliant. appreciate it. Hope you enjoy uh, your break and enjoy the 80s tunes that you're going to party to for the next seven days. <laughs> thanks so much, guys. Brilliant to be with you. The Mirror Football Podcast. Every week, Big Tom brings his big news. Uh, what's uh, doing the rounds this week? Because I know these stories don't get the likes and the retweets of the back pages, but this is equally as important. They don't. This week's big news is uh, on a hot topic from the first two game weeks of the Premier League, and that is handball. Uh, first, there was Ozil's criminal handball in the opener against Leicester. At least he did something. <laughs> and this week, it was Southampton's Jack Stevens' clear handball, which was quickly forgotten because of quite how bad the West Ham defending was all day. Awful. Uh, an often confused issue that gets fans and pundits in a bit of a fluster in a whirlwind of was it ball to hand? You like that one, don't you? I like is it deliberate? <laughs> or was it intentional? The FA have offered another clarification document or directive to give refs, players, punters and pundits the definitive four-point guide on what constitutes a handball decision these days. Okay, what are they? Number one, we've got proximity. How close the player was when the ball was blasted at them. Number two, the movement. Has the player blatantly stuck out a hand to stop the ball? We've got expected position, or commonly referred to as natural position. You can't block a shot with a hand waving about in the air like you just don't care. What if you're a bit handsy? Don't know. <laughs> and number four, what they call the Peter Schmeichel. That's Casper's dad for younger viewers. Exactly this, the starfish. You cannot make yourself bigger in any way to block a ball. Not entirely sure how that one's different mm. to the hand, not being in an expected position if you're not a goalkeeper, but there you go. There so, you go. four ways to separate your laws from your lies and your good shouts from your stonewall pens. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. It's time for our Game of Moans section of the podcast where we uh, commiserate with those who are less fortunate than ourselves. And boy, do we feel sorry for Newcastle United supporters. Boy, do we feel sorry uh, for poor old Rafa Benitez, who uh, poor Rafa. Uh, he, he desperately wants players. He hasn't got enough, he keeps saying. None. He doesn't like the ones that he has got. 
um, sadly. And another defeat, a second defeat of the season, this time to newly promoted Huddersfield. Uh, I'm delighted to say that joining us to talk about it is Shay Given, the former Newcastle goalkeeper. Hi, Shay. Hi, lads. All right. Very good, thank you. Thanks for coming on the programme. I mean, what was it like being a Newcastle fan watching Sunday's game? Um, just disappointing. You know, I think their goalkeeper for goalkeeper made one great save first half. You know, but apart from that, they sort of huffed and puffed second half. And, and looking at the performance, you know, you feel it's going to be a long season for them. And, and um, you know, I think that's why Ruff is concerned about maybe the signings they haven't got in and stuff. So it's. It is, it is a concern because you know I was there nearly 12 years. I know what the, what what the club's like for the fans up there and what it's like to play there. And and for me personally, even since I left Newcastle, you know it, the Premier League's a lesser club without them in it. You know it's a fantastic stadium and, and they should be in the Premier League. But so it's I still think there's time to get some more players in and I think they need some more. And I think you know it'll be very important to do that in the next you know number of days before the window closes. But um, yeah, they just they just you know obviously Huddersfield just coming up as well. You know you think they would. At least get something, something from the game, and they didn't. So there'll be there'll be a few alarm bells ringing up up in Newcastle at the minute. Um, Rafa says they aren't ready for the the Premier League. If you're in the dressing room yeah. and you hear that all the time, and you, he's constantly yeah. going on about players, does it affect you? I think it's not ideal. Obviously, you know, I just think Rafa, both Rafa and Mike, actually need to get their heads together. And you know, as a great club, as I say, they need to get their heads together and move the club forward. You know, my my by my accounts, there's people tell me they don't even speak. Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Anymore, you know, Lee Charney's the go-between between Ashley and and Rafa. I mean, that's not an ideal situation either. And you know, as a player, going back to your question, and you know, no, you don't want to hear them things as a player. You know, the, for example, the goalkeeping department being linked with a goalkeeper all summer, and, and if I was the goalkeeper there, it would be unsettling. I think you know, you'd be thinking, well, I'm training every day, I'm I'm doing well, and and training in the games, and you know, what's the point if someone's going to come and take me position? But I know it's not as, as black and white as that. But at the same time, you had to be. It would be, you know, the other players undermine them a little bit as well. That they're always linked with other players, and and Rafa, of course, the manager saying that they aren't good enough to stay in the division. So it's it's it's, it's it seems like not all going accordingly up there, should we say? Shay, what what do you make of um, Jossalu? I, I presume you've played with him at Stoke, and he's recently yeah. arrived at Newcastle. What what do you, is that a good yeah. addition to the squad? I actually think it is a good addition. You know, people need to give him a little bit of time to get up to sort of match match fitness and stuff but he came on I felt at the weekend and you could see glimpses of him you know he's a strong from a Spanish guy he's not he's not your natural Spanish player in the sense he's not small and you know light and easy to push off the ball he's actually a very strong guy he's good in the air and he's a very good finisher as well so I, I actually think the business they've done there will be very good you know given the time and, and obviously given service as well himself I think it will be a good signing for the club and um, obviously this morning we woke up to headlines that Slavin Bilic may well lose his job at uh, West Ham United if that's the case they're going to go after Rafa I mean Rafa's obviously going to yeah. be constantly linked with, with, with different jobs because of his stature as a manager um, how yeah. important is it that they retain him as the, as the gaffer well, I think I think he's the perfect guy to move them forward as a football club, and what I mean by that is, you know, this year maybe stay hopefully in the Premier League, and then 
you know, the following season mid-table and, and, and the season to come is, is actually back challenging for the Premier League because that's where that's where Newcastle should be. And they shouldn't be in a relegation. We shouldn't be talking about them, you know, not getting enough players in and maybe struggling in the division. We should be talking about them, you know, challenging for Europe. I know people maybe listening would think, you know, you're off your head, but that's the club that they should be. They should be up in the European spots and and, and, and one day you would hope, you know, challenging for the Premier League. And with Rafa in charge, personally, I think he's the right man to do that. And, and as I say, but he needs the right backing from the club as well. So, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd be a disaster if they, if they lost him. You know, they really would. They'd have to do all sorts to keep him. And, and, and hopefully it's just paper talk, as we know. But, you know, as I say, there's no smoke without fire. How big is the game against West Ham at the weekend now? Well, you know, it's like, Sam, you don't, you don't get a result in the first game, so you move to the next game and... and and obviously they didn't get a result in that as well. So it's on to West Ham and, and um, especially at home as well. They had a poor start at obviously at Old Trafford and, and um, so they're they're looking to put their season back back on the street as well. So it's a, you know there's no easy games. You know, Huddersfield just got promoted and we couldn't beat them at the weekend. So there's no easy games and that'll be the case for Newcastle the whole season. They'll have to dig and fight and and show a bit of quality as well to to get the result. But it's. It's another huge game in St James's Park with a full house, of course, and, and, and what you all get is the fans behind the team, 100%, that's for sure. So, Shane, Rafa and Ashley aside, with days counting down to the end of the window, where do you think Newcastle should strengthen? Where's the, the most urgent place to, to strengthen for this team right now? Um, good question. <laughs> well, they always say the spine of the team needs strengthening as a too late, and they wanted to do the whole spine, but... You know, I think Robbie Alley's done nothing wrong. You know, he's had two games that he's played in. Um, but, you know, there's so much noise coming out of Newcastle that they're looking for a goalkeeper, and they must be. Um, Centre half, I mean, Kieran Clark's there, and Lascelles, and, and I don't know. I just I just think they just look a bit lightweight the whole way through the spine of the team. And if, if I had the money or the backing or whatever, he's probably looking in them departments. You know, they have a proper solid spine through the team, and then all the players can come in and out, you know, from, from, from different positions. And... But it just feels like even if they get a few injuries, even John Joe Shelby, obviously it was a big loss against Huddersfield with his suspension in the first game. You know, he's he's a big player for them. And, you know, the, as the course of the season goes on, injuries, suspensions, all this kind of stuff kicks in and, and, and then, then it shows the strength of depth you have in the squad. And, and me personally, I think they could do a few more players. Uh, last question before we let you go. On Jack Butland, he played really well. I know you train with him a lot. You spent a bit of time with yeah. him. Um, it, I mean, it, lots yeah. of discussions about whether or not he's going to be uh, the uh, number one for England going forward. What yeah. makes him so good? Do you think he should be England's number one? Um, I, I think he's got a real, you know, massive chance of being the, as a goalkeeper for for a long time in England. Obviously, Joe Hart's got the goalkeeper, the jersey at the minute, and it's 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 you know it's it's up for you know for who is going to play next. But for me personally, obviously, Jack Butland is the hut. Is going to be a fantastic goalkeeper. You know, last year he was out for more, more or less a year with his injury, and um, you know it, it was a difficult season for Jack. But now he just wants to get a full season under his belt and show everyone how good he is again. And and and, and I think he, he could be one of the best goalkeepers, not just in this country, but but you know around the world. I think he's that good. If he if he if he can stay clear injuries and and have a real good run in the team. High praise indeed. Cheers, yeah. Shay. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Uh, have a good rest of the week. Thanks, Enjoy bye. the kids' holidays. We'll speak to you soon. The Mirror Football Podcast. Right, it's time to look at where your next five points are coming from in our regular fantasy football section. I need as many points as I can get after this week's debacle, but who is doing well? Well, at the top of the leaderboard, we've got Gareth Clark as a new leader with his team, I Drink and No Things. Very good. Great name. Uh, He's pulled ahead slightly, but it's still early days and very close at the top. 
Um, if I could give players one bit of advice this week, load up on West Brom defenders. Form and fixtures are looking very good for them. Yeah, um, you know Hesse, who's just scored for Stoke City, I think he's going to get quite a few uh, fantasy points because he's going to be... Listen, they don't have many goal scorers. Last season, their top Premier League goal scorer was Peter Crouch with seven, so yeah. they need a little bit of inspiration. He's going to be the, their go-to man. Um, he's also not only a man of sublime football skills, but he moonlights as a recording artist I think you should get extra points just for that. Really? What's his name? Hey May. Hey May. Yeah, you Google it. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a proper superstar in every single way. <laughs> Not only on the football pitch, but with the recording mic as well. Um, don't pick anyone in West Ham's defence. That's no. my advice this week. Uh, they've conceded 91 goals in their last 50 Premier League games and have conceded more penalties than anybody else in the Premier League since the beginning of 2015-16. If you need points... Pick someone who is playing against West Ham. And this week, that's Newcastle. Newcastle. That's why we were saying Newcastle. So Newcastle forwards all day long. I know Newcastle didn't look great against Huddersfield, but they're surely going to get a chance against West Ham United. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. Right, let's uh, speak to the Mirrors Manchester correspondent, David McDonald, and the Mirrors man on Merseyside, David Maddock, to talk about everything to do with Everton. Manchester City, Liverpool and Manchester United. Let's start with uh, last night's game. Uh, gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us. Um, can we stick those two red cards in the, that was a bit harsh category? I think the first one was completely harsh. I think if you look at the replays, I think the, the referee clearly feels that, that Walker used the elbow, um, but the replays suggested, showed he clearly didn't use the elbow. Um, yeah, there's some debate as to whether the fourth official was involved. Um, if that was the case, then the fourth official's got it completely wrong as well. Um, second one, Schneidlin, he won the ball. I think it's very harsh. Um, but the argument is that he was out of control. You know, he flew in. Um, but the danger is we're going to see tackling outlawed. You know, he won the ball fairly. Uh, Aguero made a meal of it. There was there was contact with his with his I think his left leg coming through as well. But I do think uh, on on the balance, I think both both red cards were harsh. Certainly, I think both of them were probably the result of reactions rather than the the actual offences. Uh, the first one, the Everton bench probably overreacted significantly, and that seemed to influence the officials. The second one. No doubt Aguero's reaction got got the booking in, and both of them probably weren't red cards. You can you can make an argument that in both cases they were a bit rash, but um, and and with Snyderlin in particular, you you really when the referee's looking to even it up, you really don't want to give him an opportunity, and and clearly he did. So, um, but in the end, it, it, I, I guess he did even it up, so they'll have no complaints. The players have got to take some blame here, though, because there was so much play acting and, you know, on the border of cheating going on between some of the Manchester City players, some of the Everton players. They all made a meal of it. And that makes the, the referee's job incredibly hard. I'm not excusing the referee because I didn't think he had a very good game at all. But they didn't make it easy for him. Well, that's, that's the point I'm making is that, that, that it's kind of the reaction these days. It's, it's funny, though, because at the weekend, I, I, I've, I've seen so many games where where... Pundits on TV, particularly, are suggesting the player should have gone down. It, it was a penalty, but he didn't go down, and, and he'd have gone down, he'd have got the penalty. So we're kind of almost expecting the players now to to react, to to overreact, if you like, to make everything sort of clearer. And of course, you know that's the territory we're getting. But the reality is, it's been going on for years now, everywhere in the Premier League, just as much as anywhere else. And 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 we we try for a while to say, oh, it's foreign players bringing it in, but it's not. You know, all, all the players are equally the same. 
they they just it's it's that's the level of uh, professional football nowadays, if you like. I mean, Dave, David's right. I mean, this this isn't a new phenomenon. This goes back, if you remember, Glenn Hoddle at the World Cup with England in in '98. You know, encouraging you know Michael Owen to go down. Of course, he did do against Argentina to you know to win that penalty. So this isn't a new phenomenon. This is this is nothing that's restricted to foreign players. You know, it's been it's been creeping into the game for the last couple of decades, and, and now it's prevalent. Um, I think Gary Neville last night was was pretty honest and and forthright and in admitting that, that you know when he was playing he certainly tried to get players booked you know it was always trying to put pressure on the referee trying to get an opponent booked trying to gain that advantage gain that edge so I, I don't think anyone should be surprised about this at all it, it's been going on and it will continue to go on it, it makes the job of the referees a lot harder yeah of course and we can condemn it but it's part of modern football. But back to the game last night, Raheem Sterling was taking a fair amount of abuse on social media for the quality of his finishing. But did he actually swing the momentum City's way when he came on? I think he did, certainly. I mean, he, he ran down a few blind alleys early on and got caught in possession. Um, but I think when he moved into more central position, uh, he was more effective. You know, he's, he's one of the players. He didn't have a great first season at City. You know, he came for a huge, huge price tag, you know, for 50 million. Uh, he was uh, certainly, you know, the, the acrimonious departure. I mean, Dave will, will know about this as well, you know, covering Liverpool. The acrimonious nature of the departure from Liverpool was, was played out. So it was a big move. He was in the spotlight. He didn't have a great season um, last season. He had he sort of fits and starts. He he, he came in, he, he, he'd been playing well, then he was out of the team. I know he was injured as well. Uh, but this is a big season for Raheem Sterling. You know, a lot of a lot of pressure on him in terms of England as well. Uh, and I think he did. He did justify his, his, um, you know, his, his place. Obviously, came on for, for Gabriel Jesus last night, uh, and and he obviously won. The, you know, sorry, earned, earned City a point. Um, he gets a lot of abuse for who he is. I think unfairly. You know, okay, you know, he, he forced the issue, but I think um, certainly he's from the game. Jordan Pickford has got the ability to be England's number one, hasn't he? And he displayed that again last night. They've conceded one goal now in, in five games. It, it's been pretty impressive for him and his start at Goodison Park. Yeah, he's had a, he's had an amazing start. Actually, he's only young, so um, and I think he's still got some learning to do. Maybe maybe in his sort of presence when in really congested areas, because he's not the biggest keeper, but but he's been fantastic against Hajduk Split. He had nothing to do for I don't know seventy minutes, and then suddenly from nowhere he had to do three or four saves, and he and he actually basically kept Everton as favourites in that time. And then again against City, and you know what better stage to show it. It's funny because when Everton paid thirty million for him, everybody's saying absolutely crazy. But it really, really doesn't look such a bad fee now, does it? Especially compared to the money City spent on their keeper. Uh, yeah, talking of uh, Manchester City and spending money, uh, Lionel Messi's been linked with Manchester City this morning. Is that absolutely fanciful, or is it something that Manchester City might do and, and, and blow PSG out the water and take all the summer transfer window headlines? Well, Sam, it's something you can, you can never discount. You know, learning football never to discount anything. Um, the one club that Lionel Messi would go to if he'd leave Barcelona would be Manchester City. Um, you know the the owners and the officials there have privately indicated that he has the relationship with them from Barcelona. I, I think it would be an extraordinary move if it did happen. I think it would you know, upset the, not upset the balance. I mean, he's a great player, he's the world's greatest player. So you would you would never suggest that that uh, it would it would you know be a detrimental move. But I think it, it's it's difficult to see how um, how he would fit into the current structure there at City. You know, they, they have a, a way of playing. They've got Jesus, they've got Aguero, they've got all these attacking-minded players. Um, you know, something would have to give. You know, if Messi came, then Aguero would surely go. Um, I, I'm not so sure it'll happen. Um, and of course, with Barcelona, I mean, it would completely uh, destabilise them to lose Neymar and Messi in the same transfer window. 
Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great story, but I, I can't see it happening personally. I, I'm smiling because I'm, I'm listening to, to Dave saying that City would like not be able to fit Messi into their team. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon they would. Let, 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 let me qualify that. What I'm saying is they have a way of playing at the moment, and I think it would it would take if Messi were to come. Obviously, Aguero would have to go. So. I think something would have to give, and I'm not sure that will happen. Well, talking of Barcelona, smooth segue into um, Liverpool, uh, their performance of the weekend. What did you make of that? Was it another huff and puff, um, get it over the line performance from, from the Reds? Do you know what? I thought we're bound to get onto the subject of Coutinho. And the problem Liverpool have had is just before every game they've played so far this season, there's either been a, a, bar, a bid from Barca for Coutinho or him putting in a transfer request or his family saying <laughs> that. Uh, saying that he's unhappy or he's been treated badly. Liverpool have had to deal with this every game. And, and obviously, you know, players say, oh, we don't care about it, we're focused. Of course they care about it. It really bothers them. The manager's really bothered. And yet they've, they've just about, they've got the job done. They were the, At Watford, yeah, OK, they dropped points they shouldn't have done. They should have won that 7-2. But, but, you know, at least they've been getting the job done. And I think the message is finally getting through to Barcelona now that, Perhaps he isn't for sale. So maybe Liverpool have got through the worst of it and you'll start seeing them being a, a little bit more, more coherent, maybe taking a few more chances. If they do manage to get hold of uh, Philippe Coutinho Barcelona, w- will they have room for him? Or well, they certainly have room for him, obviously, because they're, they're seeing him as obviously the, the, the replacement for Neymar. Um, I think Dave's right. I think Liverpool have, have stood firm on this one. And I think it would be hugely embarrassing for them to have to, you know, to then accept the offer after standing firm. And I think it would... It would, you know, swing obviously more momentum towards the players. You know, players do dictate where they go these days, and, and the clubs are slowly taking that back. And we saw, you know, with Luis Suarez, you know, Liverpool, you know, saying, "Look, give us one more season," uh, and standing firm, and then they're allowed to go to Barcelona. I think that's the situation that'll that'll play out here. But certainly, Coutinho, um, you know, would be a, a huge, a huge addition to Barcelona. And you know, their desperation to get him is borne out by the fact I think they've made three or four bids now, uh, but they've all been turned down. David Maddox. Go on, sorry. Sorry, Sam. I was going to add that Barcelona, the big problem they've got is they actually have financial problems, you know, and, and that is becoming increasingly evident over the summer. When I say financial problems, they've got all that cash and it is in cash in their bank from PSG, but they can't even spend all of that. They want Dembele, they want Coutinho. They actually can't afford both of them. So they're trying to do one of them on the cheap. They were doing that with Coutinho, paying it over four years, they, it was actually only 80 million. They said 120. It's not. It's 80 million. They're resting add-ons, which are not particularly achievable. So the problem there is, can they afford both Dembele and Coutinho? No. The answer is no, they can't. Why didn't Jurgen Klopp uh, hug Sadio Mane when he'd scored the goal at the weekend? <laughs> yeah, um, I bet you Mane was gutted, wasn't he? He's like, where's my hug? Where's my hug? You know, Klopp was, uh, they were singing Mane's name and Klopp was saying, oh, it's too early to be singing his name. It's funny like that. He kind of, uh, he he doesn't want people to get too carried away. Mane is suddenly very important, very important for Liverpool. And I think maybe he's not wanting to put too much pressure on him, you know, because because he's such a focal point. More important than Coutinho, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Manchester United winners again, 4-0 David McDonnell and uh, a club that you know very well, Jose Mourinho, uh, looks like he's very happy. I saw him sort of pretend smoking a cigar in the centre circle with Paul Clement at the beginning of that game. And he's right to be all smiles, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I mean, you couldn't have wished for a, for a better start. Two 4-0 two wins. You expect them to, to beat the opponents, West Ham and Swansea, but I think it's the manner of those wins. I mean, they were both very different 
you know, United steamrolled West Ham. You know, they, they could have scored more. Um, against Swansea, it was more cl- closer than the scoreline suggested. They were 1-0 up and, until 80 minutes and, you know, could have had Pogba sent off. There were a couple of rash challenges there from him that, that could have seen him sent off. Uh, and then they, obviously, with Swansea changing their system and, and really trying to go for that equaliser, that opened them up and, and United took full advantage. Um, I think the thing for Mourinho at the moment is that he's got so many options. You know, that squad, you know, the additions of, of Lukaku, OK, Lindelof hasn't um, hasn't started yet, but he's got, you know, so many options. You look at Martial coming off the bench to score two goals uh, as well. You know, he's he's sending out a message to Mourinho. So Manchester United are looking very strong, but I think the real test will come when they go to Anfield on, I think, October the 14th. Um, they've got Stoke, um, I think, well, sorry, Leicester next, then Stoke, then Everton, Southampton, Palace. But then the real test comes with Liverpool and then um, Chelsea and Tottenham in, in succession after that. So I don't think we can really make any judgments about their title credentials until they face you know, some of the big boys. Uh, they look absolutely massive as well. Uh, before we let you go, could you solve one mystery for us, David McDonald? Why'd they call you Disco? I get asked this all the time. You know, it's a, it's, it's a state secret. You know, I have to keep that air of mystery around me. So. <laughs> It's definitely, it's definitely something to do with his dancing, I'm yeah. sure. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. That's it from us. Thank you very much for getting involved in the programme. To the Davids, to Shea Given, to John Cross as well for getting in touch. We really uh, appreciate that. I'm off to Old Trafford this week, to mm. St James's Park this week. Wow. And I'm going uh, to watch Everton play against Hadrick Split as well, which is Big uh, week. a massive week for me. Really looking forward to that. The Champions League draw is on Friday. You'll be hoping that Liverpool are just in it, right? Yeah, but confident. Look good in the first game. Second game at home should be there. OK, mind-bender answer. Yes. We're looking for five Champions League winners mm-hmm. that play for Stoke City. They've got more Champions League winners in their squad than anybody else. Who are they? I had Shakiri. Yes. I had Hesse. 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 Yeah. Um... Ex-Barcelona players. Think ex-Barcelona. Uh... Affalai, but he doesn't. Does he really play? Affalai. He's so cute looking, isn't he? Affalai. Don't know. Yeah, his little face is just so cute. All right. Uh, he never plays though. Uh, come another clue. I'm not going to get the other two. Um, another Barcelona player who's got sort of um, Balkan heritage. Bojan. 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 Yeah, he's in Kirchich. there. And the other one is a former Manchester United player. Dazzling Darren Fletcher. Darren Fletcher. So Fletcher, Shakiri, Hesse, Afalai and Bojan. They're the five Champions League winners Good that teaser. play for Stoke City. More of that next week on the programme. If you want to get in touch, it's at Stay On Your Feet on Twitter, at Stay On Your Feet uh, TV on Instagram. What you got planned for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm going to try and find the social media expert from Empire of the Cop that convinced me Sadio Mane wasn't playing against Palace and ruined my fantasy team. And meanwhile, the Stoke uh, Police Force are going to find their social media expert who decided to put that tweet out about Meza Erza, probably arrest him and throw him in a cell. We'll see you next week. See ya. The Mirror Football Podcast. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app 
or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.